Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and today I'm joined by Mike Isratel and Tim Henriquez. And I have the guys on the show to debate, I think, training frequency, but also probably that will span into some other areas as well, which I'm very excited about. Um, I know the audience are very much aware of Mike, but I just want to quickly introduce Tim to you all because um, that's definitely worth doing. Tim is the Director of National Personal Training Institute of the National Training Personal Institute. He's been competing in powerlifting for over 20 years, and uh, I thought it was very impressive to hear in 2003, deadlifted 700 pounds at 198 pounds. Uh, he's written for T Nation, so you might have seen him over there, arnold.com, thepddc.com. These are some of the ones I think our audience will probably be very aware of, um, amongst others. And he has a BS in kinesiology. Uh, is there anything else you want to make the kind of listeners aware of, Tim? I know you have further education and qualifications and everything there. I just picked out some key ones. Yeah, no, those all sound pretty good. I mean, basically, uh, you know, I don't think too many people had heard of me until some guy surfed through YouTube and declared I had the best curl he'd ever seen for anybody under 200 pounds. And then I kind of blew up overnight. So always fun. But 20 years before that, I was, uh, you know, training lots of trainers and uh, writing books and lifting and, uh, and having fun. Fantastic. So yeah, the, the post some of the audience may have seen, um, and these guys decided that they wanted to kind of come on here and discuss a little bit more. And it was Mike's posts on using an excessively low frequency, uh, and essentially said that there is a low range of frequencies that's just far off the mark and it's just wrong. And uh, muscles like the biceps, side delts and rear delts that heal really fast have no business being trained at once a week um, in most cases. And Tim kind of, and that, that was a very summarized point. So I don't know if Mike, you wanted to further develop that before I go on to anything Tim said. No, not specifically. I think that's a fine cool. summary. Awesome. So yeah, Tim came back and said there was a lot of instances where um, he would say training a muscle group once per week. Soreness, in his opinion, is not a good predictor of recovery at all. Wear and tear on the joints is a huge issue with higher training frequency and uh, talked about aiming for minimum effective or minimal essential strain, actually. Uh, so MES versus MRV, uh, since the consequences of being at or over your MRV are much worse uh, than the other side of the equation. Anything else you wanted to kind of add to that, Tim? Um, yeah, I mean, just to clarify a little bit. So obviously when someone's interacting on Facebook, you know, it's tough to, it's tough to put something out there. So Mike was uh, disclosing a snippet from his upcoming book, which I imagine lots of people are excited about and uh, myself included. And, um, you know, he basically just said, Hey, you know, training three or four times a week is pretty you know, there's a lot of nuance to debate that in terms of frequency, but if you just go once a week, he kind of used the word dead wrong. Um, and so, you know, that was a little bit of a broad a painting with a broad brush, I felt. And I know Mike is a big influencer, so I just wanted to kind of chime in. I do think that once a week um, frequency, so meaning you're stimulating each area kind of directly once a week, uh, does have a lot of benefits. I wouldn't want it to be thrown out of the training toolbox, so to speak. Um, so I kind of wanted to stick up for that side, but yeah, then the summary of, of some of the, the benefits, we can certainly get more into that. Uh, but I thought that summary on your side was pretty fair. Okay, cool. Mike, do you want to respond with any thoughts to Tim's comments? Um, I'd like to hear the benefits of, uh, very low frequency training, and then I can, um, agree or take issue with any one of them. 
Okay. Um, so first, just for, I think, for clarification. So when we say frequency, right, we're talking about how often we're training something, uh, you know, each week. Um, and, you know, by my, and the way my world would work, you know, three times or more would be on the higher side. I think most people kind of go with two times as kind of a nice normal. And then once a week or even less than once a week uh, would be on the lower side for frequency. Does that sound like reasonable? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All right, cool. Um, so I guess some of the, uh, you know, the way I look at it is, of course, frequency and intensity are going to be pretty intricately related, or they often are. Um, so are we, in, in terms of like a sample person, you know, as a personal trainer, I'm always, so somebody comes in, okay, you got two hours a week, three hours a week, four hours a week. What, uh, what kind of training time for an individual might we be talking about? Obviously, if somebody had 10 hours a week, you're more likely to do high frequency than if somebody had two hours a week. Mm. I, I don't see it that way. I think someone okay. who has the least time per week should be doing the most possible frequency. Then. Right. Okay. So yeah, so if, if someone has two hours a week, then they're going to do, they'll probably, they might do, you know, total body both times if they come in, something like yep. that. Um, so, you know, my basic point would be that if you took a routine and let's say you had a three times a week routine and someone could choose to do total body where they're stimulating most of the areas, um, you know, in each session, or if you took the same exercise, same volume and spread it out, let's say you did a push pull legs routine. I don't think there would be a lot of difference in the results. Um, and you would, one of the benefits of the lower frequency is that then obviously in that routine, it's the exact same. I personally think uh, most clients find low frequency a little bit more enjoyable. Um, but I guess the, the biggest, my biggest issue is that high frequency training is definitely rough on the joints if you follow it long term. So I'm, by that, I would mean like more than two months in a row. Um, you're just running the risk of you know, greater injury. Would you disagree with the idea that high frequency training would have a higher chance of injury? Hmm. So it, um, I think that it depends on how you use the high frequency training uh, in large part. So for example, if you set up a higher frequency program, what ends up happening is that you, it turns out you can actually train from very similar per session volumes um, and actually recover, at least the musculature recovers on time relatively quickly. Um, and the joints and connective tissues seem to recover more slowly. Mm -hmm. So if you train with a, a higher frequency, you can actually multiply your per session, uh, or sorry, your per week volume a lot. Because your per session volume doesn't really have to drop that much, but you can squeeze more sessions in which I think does notably expand the muscle growth response. Um, it also makes you stronger, especially if you're not super strong to begin with. Right. I think it absolutely uh, does, in that volume expansion, have a tendency to lead the connective tissues and joints to fall behind in their recovery a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's anything that deloading can't solve once every four to eight weeks, but it's certainly something that if you go very high frequencies and really let the volume expand three, but especially four or five times a week for larger, more muscular people, I think that 
is unsustainable on two grounds. One is your joints and connective tissues for sure take a beating that you can't continually recover from. Right. And then two is you actually start to uh, do so much total volume, if you, especially if you do it for multiple body parts or muscle groups, you will exceed your systemic maximum recoverable volume because you're just going to be training all the damn time and not going to be able to recover. Right. So there's a place where high frequency can take you that is cool on paper and it grows muscle really fast if you can survive it, but unfortunately you can't. Right. So I think we have to be very mindful of that. Um, I will say that I'm curious about the connective tissue strain uh, with a volume equated routine that, so volume equated routines that are higher frequency have uh, are still superior to lower frequency volume equated routines as far as literature is concerned. Not as superior as the volume non equated ones. Right. But I, I'm, if the volume is equated, so for example, if you do 24 sets in one session versus doing three sessions of eight sets each through the week, uh, I, I'm not so sure that that will lead to much more connective tissue disruption um, because the net disruption seems to be fairly similar. Um, I also think that your uh, potential chances of really experiencing acute overreaching might be lower uh, in a higher mm -hmm. frequency routine because 24 right. sets for one muscle group can lead to some very interesting maladaptations at the end of that kind of workout, which right. I personally experienced. But um, uh, I think if you start to equate all of the variables there, then just expanding the frequency, I think, I suspect might have a slight effect on uh, connective tissue issues, but I don't think it has a big one. And I'll say something further, I think that for people focusing on their best possible gains, frequencies one time a week um, or very likely so suboptimal compared to at least two and three time a week frequencies from muscle gain perspective, that I think any connective tissue uh, 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 perturbations can can and do deserve to be dealt with with deloading and other fatigue management strategies and potentially cycling frequencies. I don't think we should be writing off higher frequencies on a sort of permanent going forward basis and saying, well, they're just unsustainable to the connective tissues. I think the connective tissues need to take one on the chin for a couple of weeks and then we back off and then we run it again. Um, and, and I think that what my idea of lower frequency is, is probably two times a week. One right. time a week seems to me to be a stretch unless we're talking about insanely strong, very, very large people that can impart such a strain on their connective tissues and joints. I think most people, especially regular personal training clients, you can train them two, three, four times a week, same muscles. They won't have anything going on as far as limiting connective tissues for years and years and years and possibly never. Um, I think this only really applies to the very biggest and strongest. All right. Well, you said a lot of good things in there. Um, so let me start with the stuff that I would agree with. Um, so you mentioned that high frequency is tough to just maintain, you know, systemically, uh, you know, for a really long period of time. Um, so I suspect we probably would have some pretty similar ideas on, you know, modulating your volume over different mesocycles. Uh, one of the things I like about lower frequency is if you follow that for, you know, a month or two, that sets you then up to respond well if you then decide to increase the volume. You're kind of ready for that change. Whereas if you're just, like you said, if you're always doing 24 sets or what have you, um, you know, that's, that's going to be on the high side. Then if you want to get that jump, you got to do even more and even more, and you can only increase that so much. Um, 
one thing that I like about the low frequency, and I, I also agree with the idea that as you get bigger and stronger and you have larger musculature, you can do more damage. Uh, so for example, women, people starting out, um, tend to be tend to respond better to that higher frequency because they don't do as much systemic or muscular damage. Um, one thing with the, uh, would you agree that if you kind of had to decide that intensity trumps frequency, would that be a statement that you would agree with or what's your, another? What do you mean by intensity? How hard the workout is. So in other words, if you had a choice between doing kind of like a medium workout or an easy workout five times a week or a hard workout once a week, um, would you agree the once a week one is generally going to be more effective? No, I would say the medium one five times a week is going to be more effective. Okay. For um, hypertrophy, I don't think that uh, any one specific workout matters a ton. And I think if you summate good workouts over a period of multiple days, I think the hypertrophic response is at least as big and I would say bigger than going balls to the wall in one workout um, once a week. Uh, right. as, as a matter of fact, I'm not entirely so sure um, you know, if we're talking about intensity, you mean like uh, how much we're doing and how close to failure we get or how heavy we're lifting or something like that? Uh, yeah, a mixture of, you know, your percent one rep, one rep max combined with reps combined with sets. So kind of a, you know, an, an app, basically your classic bodybuilding style, you know, Dorian Yates kind of workout where you go in and you, you rock your chest for 45 minutes versus, you know, four things of 10 minute chest workouts, um, you know, spread throughout yeah i think the spread out one is probably better though not as sustainable for the connective tissues on the long term and not always possible got it yeah i would so i would probably disagree with that a little bit um you know the analogy i like to use is let's say you had somebody doing push-ups uh, somebody could do 10 push-ups an hour for a day and that would be 240 total push-ups or somebody else could do 80 push-ups once um i think the person doing the 80 push-ups would you know, in terms of the, they would get much better results by doing that one set of 80 than you would get doing a, an easier amount, even though in that instance, the volume's triple of what the one person's doing. Mm. Um, well, so if we equate failure proximity, I'm not so sure if that applies anymore. So, uh, you know, the big problem with doing 10 push-ups and stopping, if you're capable of doing 80 in one set, um, is the fact that you're vastly, vastly submaximum. Right. Uh, yeah, totally. So uh, I think that if we establish that every set you do in this comparison should be a hard set, mm -hmm. I think if you do 20 hard sets in one workout versus doing five hard sets per workout four times a week, I think right. the latter tends to offer better results for most individuals, not the former. Gotcha. When you do, so, and then would your workout be basically you're doing five hard sets of, you know, almost every muscle as you go through. Um, so, you know, kind of like you're hitting that total body or at least close to total body. I'm just uh, trying so to grasp you, on how the whole thing could be constructed. Sure. You know, I don't, uh, I don't, it depends. I guess so. so uh, there's a bunch of ways you could set it up. I like to just look at things one muscle group at a time. Okay. And then uh, the next level would be to establish which muscle groups a person actually wants to train, which ones right. they want to have on the back burner, and um, you know what level of specificity they want to engage a muscle group with, what level of priority. So you know if you're training 
uh, chest five or four times a week, then I suspect you're, you know, if you only train everything four times a week, then yeah, every day's a whole body. Right. But if you train six times a week, I think that, you know, it could look a little different where, sure. you know, some of the two of the days are really big leg, lower body days. Two of the days are really big upper body days. Two of the days are sort of mixed and a bit more time for peripheral muscles like the uh, triceps, biceps. And then there's a bunch of different ways you could design it. So sure. what I would say is that I think that in maybe two of those weekly workouts, those five sets of chest would come first. Uh, mm -hmm. In another two of those workouts, they would come not first. And thus the, uh, you know, how much effort you're putting into them could be a little bit different uh, than 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 a maximum and an optimum right would you do you feel that most people in, uh, enjoy that style of workout i don't give a shit <laughs> i'm just kidding uh right. I'm, I'm, I'm only half kidding um i think i think i gotta be really careful about parsing uh parsing enjoyment versus effect i think if we find something to be theoretically and uh, experimentally more effective we don't have to tell our clients that, but we have to know it. Right. So when they say, well, I want this, you say, okay, well, no, so do you want the best results or do, how much fun versus results are we going to calibrate here? And if they tell you, look, like I fucking, I got a wedding in eight weeks, fuck fun. I want to get in the best shape of my life. Then they do what's optimal. And if they right. say, you know, I'm in this for the long haul, I really just hate high frequency training. Is there any way we can do lower frequency? And you sort of meet them halfway. You say, look, I, I don't know if about once a week, I think maybe that's not the best, but I think, you know, ideally it's three, but let's meet halfway at two uh, or do one big workout for something. And then a smaller workout, like a one and a half time a week frequency or something. Right. And then you go from there. So as far as enjoyment, um, I really like to keep myself away from, from considerations like that. Uh, because to quote Dorian Yates, I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, he was asked about instinctive training back in the nineties. It was a popular training fad and, so Dorian, what do you think about instinctive training? He said, you know, if I followed instinctive training, I'd be opening a can of beer on my couch right now because I don't right. instinctively want to train at all. <laughs> uh, sure. So I think there's something to that, but I absolutely see your point. Um, I, 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 uh, I think some people might like various programs or others. I think bros really like low frequency stuff. I tend to find that non-bros like high frequency just fine. Or they don't even know what they like. So you inculcate within yep. them a culture of, to expect to just come in and work hard and they, they like what they like uh, and then they end up just liking what you've been doing with them. Uh, I will say females usually like, in my experience, seem to like the higher frequency stuff because um, I think people get pretty bored banging away at the same muscle group for a whole hour and I think some mm -hmm. people like variety. Um, right. But but if it, the research was clear that one muscle group per week was a very good idea and everything else is bad, I would just give very little shit about the people that didn't you know, so people say, I'm bored. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, go right. be bored and small somewhere else. <laughs> I'm mostly kidding, but not entirely. No, I got you. Speaking of Yates, so do you believe you can build your maximal muscular potential uh, if someone just said, I'm just going to train primarily once a week, you know, for most of my training program? Um, do you think you can get your maximum muscular potential that way? I doubt it. Yeah. Um, I think it's possible to get very close with very large muscles that uh, tend to fatigue a lot anyway and require a lot of recovery time, such as the pectorals, possibly the glutes, the quads, the hamstrings, almost certainly. Um, muscles like the biceps in many people, side and rear delts in almost everyone, uh, calves in many people, uh, in uh, triceps in, in quite a few. Gee, you know, when you optimally stimulate them from a volume perspective in a single session, it just does not take a week to recover to be able to do that workout again. In the fractional synthetic rate elevations, we see the actual detectable muscle growth 
It does not occur for one week. So I'm always struck by this. If you do what is close to the uh, optimal volume per session for a muscle group, which we have very good reason to believe now is right around 10 sets. Um, uh, you know, you could do less actually and do higher frequency and still be optimal, but doing more per session seems to be not the best idea, especially sustained. If you do roughly 10 sets per muscle group and you have this weird universe, now just go along with me for a sec, where all of it's on Monday, <laughs> right? right? Just a weird experiment. And then we see, we checklist when the muscle in question is recovered to have another productive training session again. I think for something like the hamstrings, it could be five or six days. So if you do seven, you get some uh, desensitization, some functional overreaching, it makes up the effect, and roughly a week is basically as good as it gets for hamstrings if the person was large and muscular. Uh, right. Quadriceps similar, glutes possibly similar, so on and so forth. Then you get to muscles like the lats, the triceps, et cetera, and it's, uh, you know, man, they really are pretty recovered halfway through that week. So the argument of, well, we shouldn't train them yet is, you know, could kind of merit, but then also has to be credited with saying, you know, these, these three, four days here, we're ready to go. We could have great growth, but nah, just wait it out. Um, and then we have, you know, muscles that are much smaller, side and rear delts come to mind, especially. I mean, I've just never seen anyone need more than two or three days for their side delts to recover to have another productive workout. I've just never seen that. Right. Um, and, and the idea, you know, that human physiology should even work on it. We, the week is a human invention entirely. Um, human physiology was never, never got the memo about the week. The muscles heal and are ready to be overloaded on their own time courses entirely. And those time courses vary greatly between people, but also this have nothing to do with the week whatsoever. So, you know, if we were on a, a five-day week in an alternate universe, you and I could be having this debate, and I, I would be saying five days is the optimal because it's right. fucking God intended. It's, you know, it's our week, right? But somebody could, you could hear, hear about a bizarre world where there's seven days a week. You'd be seven, what a ridiculous number. That's not even a base of 10. That's crazy, you know? like. Um, sure. So I think that for a lot of muscles, it's just, you're just ready to train them very productively again in much less than seven days in the muscles that it's, Less than seven days, but not much. I think it's all in the wash. But I think for some muscles, when it when it's at at most three or four days, you I mean you got a real good opportunity to train that muscle again. Um, uh, you know, so if someone said, you know, two weeks, you got to only train a muscle two weeks. I mean, gee, you know, can you imagine if someone says, you know, get best quad gains training once every two weeks? You'd be like, why? Well, pretty sure it's ready to train once a week. I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to wait. This is all this right. recovery. I think staying seven days for something like the side delts is tantamount to almost exactly that, where it just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Right. Um, and then, uh, so I think so all that taken uh, into perspective, the last thing I say is as you get bigger, your muscles get bigger, they exact more of a stress on your joints and connective tissues, and they themselves take longer to recover to be able to produce an overload safely again later. Right. So I think higher, um, uh, lower frequency routines are actually less bad the more advanced and large you get. So uh -huh. I think the, the people most disserved by these very low frequency programs are small females at the start of their training careers. So you've been training three or four months, you're not deconditioned anymore, and someone's like squat once a week. And like, My God, this woman could be squatting once every other hour and be getting right. way, way better. But certainly three times a week is no problem for her to recover. As you get into the 200 pound plus range, and you're male, and you've been training for seven to 10 years, then yeah, training once a week is starting to get, you know, comparably close to high frequency training, because you can train so hard that it actually does take that long to recover. I right. still think for those people, there's a small advantage, 
but look, we're not all Ronnie Coleman. My packs are not Marcus Rule's packs. Like if I was inclined benching 500 for sets of five, I might also need a week to recover, but I'm not. Sure. So maybe I can recover faster and go, go sooner. Yep. So yeah, so I would I would totally echo what you just said in terms of uh, the size of the person, and I do agree that you know let, let's just say you had a stereotypical meathead who was a trainer, and then he's like, well, I like to do a chest and back day, and now I have my you know forty year old female client who's pretty new to lifting, and then he's like, chest and back day for you, lady. You know, I definitely agree that um, you know the way I see it, the pendulum is kind of swung in the eighties and nineties it was kind of, this was kind of the way to train, right? You had your, I mean, Dorian Yates was doing it, Marty Gallagher, Kirk Kowalski, they're kind of the big, you know, proponents of hit something really hard, do it once. And they, they kind of meet the criteria that you're talking about in terms of they're the advanced people, a lot of muscle, super strong, all that kind of stuff. So people obviously want to copy them. They're the heroes. So they do that. And then the pendulum kind of swings. And now it's kind of swung towards high-frequency training, um, which I think has certainly has merit. My goal here is not to bash high-frequency training. My goal is to not throw out low-frequency training as a valid tool in the toolbox. Um, and so, and as you said, as then as people get stronger, and even like on your side dealt example, you know, my thought would be if somebody goes in, let's just say on Monday and rocks chest, and so they do, you know, 20 sets of pressing exercises, the side delt's going to receive some stimulus there. You know, it's obviously not the agonist, but it's going to receive some stimulus. Then three days later, if they have a shoulder day, and now they're doing a lot of overhead pressing and lateral raises and stuff like that, really now it's getting hit, you know, every, you know, twice a week, essentially. And so then, you know, it's like, okay, that kind of works. Same thing with back and buys. You know, one of my, one of the fun things about the low frequency training is you can set up the split so you can decide, okay, do I want my big muscles to get hit? You know, do I want to have super, super recovery where I just had a pull day, for example, and I didn't do anything for the rest of the week? That would obviously super maximize recovery and maybe undertrain. Or you could have like a chest and back day, and then you could have a shoulder arm day. And now those synergistic muscles, you know, like you mentioned, are getting hit twice a week. Um, but what about the chest and the back? When are they getting hit twice a week? Well, they're not, but they're, if, if, so if somebody is, I mean, one, they might get hit a little bit. I mean, most people, for example, if you did close grip bench on your, on your shoulders and you know, tricep day, um, you know, now the chest is getting hit. Um, but yeah, they would not be getting hit. But as you mentioned, the large muscles don't need to be stimulated as frequently. So if you had someone who had reasonable intensity, um, you know, then that may well be enough stimulation for them, especially if they're. And again, if we, if, I mean, I, I live in the world of personal training. So, you know, if somebody gives me three hours a week, we're, I'm pretty excited about that. You know, a lot of people come in at twice, three hours is pretty good. Four hours is fantastic in terms of sessions a week. So if somebody was going to go, um, you know, so to set up, okay, I could do that total body, you know, three times a week. That's certainly an option. And that would probably, you know, I'd have a mesocycle based off of that. But I wouldn't see any issue and would often include something, again, like a, a chest and back, a legs and lower back, shoulders and arms. I think that would work reasonably well for a lot of people. It's kind of fun. The, one of the biggest benefits of low, intent, of low frequency training, in my mind, is it teaches you to go more intense. So when you're on that 10th set, that 15th set, dogs are letting me know oh, my son is on the show. Quiet. Quiet. Oh, 
So, um, so anyway, so, you know, so, you know, for someone who goes in, for example, let's say someone is not that used to training. They're like, okay, well, I'm going to do five sets here. I'm going to do six, seven sets here, you know, to push through that intensity to get to that 10 set, 12 set, 15 set, uh, that, you know, that's going to further that motor unit recruitment. It's probably going to tap into some different muscle fibers that that person normally does not activate. Now, once they've activated it, then later on, they can re reclaim those a little bit easier. That's an interesting idea. Uh, allow me to throw some questions your way about that. So it's been illustrated a couple times at least that the faster twitch, high threshold fibers and motor units seem to activate, um, you know, at very uh, high loads or uh, conditions close to true muscular failure where the nervous system is not what's holding you back nervous system fatigue is not holding you back. It is the muscle itself that is just ceasing to contract because there's just nothing left as far as, um, you know, for example, ATP is, is run out. Um, so I, I think that the, perhaps then the way that best to target the faster twitch fibers, uh, the, the ones that are very difficult to target is, uh, really you're going to get those within your first five ish sets. And after that, um, you know, it's also been shown that in increasing uh, acidic environments, lots of lactic acid, it seems that the faster twitch fibers have a much more likely chance of having excitation, contraction, decoupling, and they sort of freeze up and don't really do anything, which means they don't internally generate their own tension anymore, which means their tension-mediated growth response is rather muted. So what I, I think might actually be happening in, in very high per-session volume routines. So in any case, the... Uh, faster twitch fibers seem to actually likely get their best effects at the beginning of a workout. Uh, so, I'm, uh, for example, I'm really not a big fan of workouts that start with a bunch of submaximal bullshit and then eventually get going. So, like a huge, huge not fan of, I'm sure you've seen this in magazines before, where guys will leg press and they'll do like one plate set of 15, two plates set of 15, right. and they're really strong enough to do six plates for 15 fresh. Yeah. Then by the time they get to six plates, they're doing sets of eight because they're so tired. And you're like, you right. just totally fucked yourself up. What you should have done is warmed up properly, really poured it into your first couple sets, and then everything else after that is more uh, work that definitely trains the other fibers, but the faster twitch fibers just might have had their fill. Also, faster twitch fibers require the lowest amount of, of volume to stimulate and need the most time to recover. So I, I don't know how much work 15 sets per session does for the faster twitch fibers that they're not already topped out on. I think between right. five and 10 is more than sufficient to get all of them. The rest of the work may actually be for the slower twitch fibers at that point that need the extra volume. That can also be accomplished in multiple sessions as well. So I think the idea that uh, people need to squeeze the, out everything towards the last multiple sets of 10, 15 sets and really learn how to activate fibers, uh, I think that psychologically it might promote uh, them not giving up uh, and right. focusing more on the mind muscle connection. Uh, but I think that, uh, physiologically from uh, sort of biochemistry perspective, I don't know if that's really stimulating the hard to reach areas, which tend to be the high threshold motor units that are the fastest switch. In addition to that, I think after about 10 sets, your mind muscle connection really goes to hell anyway, because you're just so fucking tired of training that muscle and that muscles nerves ability to communicate with the muscle is starting to de deteriorate. So, and you know, the central nervous system starts to become very, very tired. So I just don't think you're squeezing a whole lot 
a whole lot out. Um, and if you had to rate it by quality, I think your first five sets are the highest quality sets. I think sets five to 10, uh, maybe not the best quality, but have the highest mind muscle connection. So the stimulus to fatigue ratio is probably still really good. I think right. sets 10 to 15, you just tend to start losing quality and 15 to 20 is in my opinion, a giant fucking waste of time most times. <laughs> so what I would like to see is instead of a person doing 15 sets once a week, maybe doing seven sets or eight sets twice a week. And then the average quality of the sets is higher. I will say to your point, because the weight used will be higher in, uh -huh. in uh, that second example with higher frequency, it does over the weeks tax the connective tissues more. It's right. not a free pass. It's like, here's this magic card that makes you more jacked, but it's going to fuck you up. So you're going to have to know how to back off. And I'll, I'll end my little rant here with one thing. I think bodybuilders have floated towards very low frequency programs because they are too fucking ignorant to know when to back away. They don't even know that backing away is a thing most of the time. Most bodybuilders right. go in and just hammer shit. So yep. on the one hand, they don't know how to stop and they don't want to stop. And on the other hand, if you told them, look, we're going to train twice a week, you're going to train a little less, but you're going to have to take more deloads. Most of them don't even know what a deload is. So the reason they train once a week is because it's sustainable for the months and months and months term, whereas training two or three times a week might only be sustainable for six to eight weeks before taking a deload but they don't know how to do that. So they'll train for 10 weeks, high frequency, tear something and it'd be like, fuck high frequency. It, it's too fatiguing. It fucked me up too much. And, and not, right. not to say that's remotely your position, but I think that's, that's how a lot of bodybuilders arrive at that very low frequency stuff. No. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I think, um, I mean, there's a couple things going on there. One, I agree that once you're, once the um, high threshold motor units are fatigued, you know, obviously then just continuing to pound those same motor units probably isn't that effective. Um, I do think if you take a regular person, you know, for example, we look at in the beginning, beginners are going to have, you know, about 50% motor unit recruitment potential for what they, you know, for the muscles that they have. And then when we look at advanced people, they're recruiting 90%. People have to learn, you know, how to get to that. So as you're going, let's say I'm doing push-ups. And I'm getting tired, and then you know I now want to do. Someone's yelling at me, and I'm extra motivated to get another five reps that I wouldn't normally get. I believe that you're going at some point over that you know six months of training, you're going to turn on some of those more dormant motor units, which then now you can activate. So I'm not saying that the motor units that you can automatically activate. I think those same motor units, those motor patterns, get ingrained better by doing something two times a week, three times a week, four times a week. That's why I would definitely say given the nod to strength um, for a little bit more, you know, a little bit of a higher frequency. But for someone who is a more of a newbie or more of an intermediate, letting them basically take that muscle to fatigue. And then also, obviously, you're switching exercises. So some of your muscle fibers are going to be pretty tired. But if I go from incline to flies to something else, you know, if you take basically if you had four chest exercises and you did two of them on, you know, Monday and two of them on Thursday, or you just did all four of them on Monday. I, I do agree with what you said that the second time around, you'd be a little bit stronger. You also have to warm up that second time around, which may take 10 minutes or so that a regular client may not have. Again, if you're only working out two or three hours a week. Um, but uh, so I like the fact that you would be stronger, but on the flip side, it's kind of, you know, nice mental toughness. And also I think potentially, um, you know, you can be hitting some new fibers in that fatigued area. So uh, when we're talking about, let's say we've got four different exercises to do for chest, right? We can either do them 
with five sets each in one day, or we can do five sets per day, four times a week. Right. If you want people to train as hard as possible per exercise, like we're sitting down on this incline bench and you're going to fucking die here trying to recruit all your packs. And they're like, okay, here's a yep. bar, kill yourself. And they just grind, grind, grind. Um, right. We can ask the question of where in which one of those higher low frequency situations are they going to be more likely to give you the best effort I think it's the higher frequency because they're fresh every single time. I would totally agree. Yeah. So maybe maybe by letting them pound away for 20 sets, we actually are first of all in a situation where the neural fatigue gets so high that their physical ability to try hard starts to degrade. But yep. secondly, their psychological likelihood of trying hard is going to be real, maybe lower because that, you know sets 15 through 20, I don't even know what they're doing there. They might not know what they're doing there anymore. And they might just be surviving as far as going through the motions. I think they're much less likely to go through the motions if they're coming in on a Thursday after several days of chest training. They're relatively fresh. Their chest feels relatively fine. They've had hours and hours before their last chest exercise that they did, which was Wednesday morning and now Thursday night. They, I think, can kill chest more and recruit more high threshold motor units and do a better job in general of training because they are more fresh. I just don't know how much of a benefit you get out of kicking a muscle when it's down already versus getting a muscle relatively fresh. Right. I would say they're physiologically they're they're fresh at the moment, but what about if you if you do go in and you, you know, let's say bench pretty hard on Monday for five pretty challenging sets. I mean, aren't you expecting someone who's decent at bench to be then somewhat sore from those set, good sets? Yeah. If they actually fatigue stuff. So right. So if now if I'm pretty sore on Monday, then you ask me to incline on Tuesday and I try my hardest on there and I'm pretty sore. Then you ask me to do dumbbell press on Thursday and then I'm supposed to do flies on Friday. I feel like that that it's like ripping the scab off before it's uh you know, before it's ready to rock. It's um I feel like that's sure. much cumulative. So I think that's a very, very good argument for not being super sore or maybe even sore at all when you do your next overloading training session. So I think right. that you start out with a volume in the first week of bench in that first example on a Monday that you know, let's say you know when you're going to be training incline press. Um, it, let's say you bench Monday and let's just a super easy example is three days a week. Let's say Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? Okay, yeah. Monday, you got to bench. Uh, Wednesday, you got to do incline press. And fly, uh, Friday, you got to do flies. You know that. So you pick a volume on Monday when you come in that is, you know you will heal from soreness-wise by Wednesday. So Wednesday, right. you're going to feel good. Wednesday, you do volume you know you're going to heal by for Friday. And then Friday, you do volume you know you're going to heal by for next Monday. And so you start out super low so that there is no intersecting soreness. I do agree with you. The intersecting soreness is not a good idea. It's not sustainable right. uh, for best results. Then the next week, okay, so you did two sets of everything, and that was fine. But you knew you, were, you didn't get a sore at all and remotely. So then you add a set on average to every one of those, and you still don't get very sore because you've made an adaptation. And then next week, it's four sets of everything. You get sore for half a day on one of the days, but you're fine by the time you get a train again. And then you keep adding sets like that until you're doing six to eight sets of everything. And then you're starting to get overlapping soreness. Your fatigue is starting to escalate. You're not performing as well as you did. Then it's time to deload, repeat, and then in sort of reintroduce the volume. So I, I absolutely think that you're making a great point there where like people get into high frequency routines 
will say completely ridiculous things like just fucking train through the soreness. It doesn't matter. Like, I don't know if it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want to tear train with what are technically micro tears. Um, I've actually trained sore before very hard and gotten hurt on numerous occasions. And when you get hurt when you're training sore, it's like a surprise to no one, including yourself. You kind right. of look at yourself in the mirror like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, you know, if you get hurt feeling great, of course it's a, it's a shock and you're pissed. When you get hurt, like you go in, you're like, I shouldn't be training hamstrings. You start training hamstrings, get hurt. You're like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, right, so thanks. I definitely thanks think that, confirming. yeah, exactly. So I definitely think there's something to easing into a training plan. But I think that higher frequency programs also seem to demonstrate uh, for a couple of reasons that the delayed onset soreness response doesn't seem to be as profound uh, session to session to session. So it turns right. out that when you do higher frequencies, the intersecting soreness turns out to be a little bit of a self-solving problem as long as you start relatively on the low end uh, and go from there. So yep. I think, well, and yeah, so, no, so and I, I think your approach, obviously if, if, you know, if people are going to, to do high frequency training, um, you know, an approach like yours is certainly what I would suggest. You know, one of my thoughts is, you know, because I started out writing articles for T Nation, and so obviously there you, you've got the masses, and you know, you're trying to put out a program for somebody that you think works pretty well. You know, an analogy I like to use is as a teacher, if I've got a class of 30 people, you know, I have kind of a choice. I could do, I see high frequency training as a program that's probably going to hit some of the group. Let's say that's going to make 10 of my 30 students get A's and A pluses. So they're going to be like, hey, this is awesome. And then 10 of the students are going to, you know, respond reasonably well, kind of like normal. They get the Bs. But there are going to be some students that, you know, either have some sort of injury they're trying to work through, which I think sucks when you're, you know, the last thing you want is when you have an injured area, you have a compensation, a movement, and now you're trying to do that motion heavy, intense, three, four times a week. So you're going to get some people that are going to get Cs and Fs. That's, that's option one. Or you can give somebody a low-frequency program which is a little more self-correcting in my opinion. And so now 25 of the students all get B pluses. So it doesn't appeal quite as much. There's like, it doesn't work quite as well. I mean, usually if you have eight weeks of training, high frequency is going to trump low frequency in terms of results because you're just doing more work. But in terms of long-term sustainability and who can keep up with it, my attitude is it hits a broader percentage and it's harder to fuck up. Whereas high frequency training, when you don't do it right, then you have more issues and you're still going to have one or two people that do super well on low, low volume training and low frequency training. And then you're going to have a few people that, you know, don't do as well. Um, would you agree that it kind of, is, it's easier to program and, and, and you're kind of, you're more of a steady, steady incline. You also don't need to do the back offs then. So you have to factor that in if you're, you know, you can probably just continue to train until you switch mesocycles. I don't think it's as important to do a deload on that kind of training. Well, I think any training that does not require a deload is not sufficiently taxing the musculature and, and thus you need to go harder until you have required a deload. It is going to require more time of training probably to require a deload on those kinds of uh, low uh, frequency programs. So you can get more sessions in before you deload. Although there's right. a, quite, a, quite a bit of research now to show that the uh, when you deload, you're not really stepping back in any meaningful sense, and you can even take several weeks off, come back, and you regain muscle so fast and ability so fast that it's as if you took no time off whatsoever. So I think being able to sequence consistent number 
of microcycles together uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks is a very good thing, but I think past about four weeks, the accumulation to deload ratio is a little bit irrelevant for long-term gains, and it starts to be much more relevant for when do you need to back off because you can't keep going. Um, and in your classroom analogy, I think that the people in the class who would most benefit from that once a week programming are the very elite uh, and the very large and the very muscular and the people who are the least likely to benefit are the um, relative beginners and individuals that are very small and even possibly those with not so great genetics. So an example of not so great genetics would be a slower fiber type average over the whole body right. and slower but fibers. About older people. Yeah, so uh, you know, older people have a, a, a sort of the fuck kind of two ways. One is they usually have slower fiber type, and uh, their muscles uh, also fatigue <laughs> very rapidly, and the central right. nervous system does as well. So with older people, I think you know, so you can uh, sort of uh, older people their what their idea of optimal has to change significantly. Um, yeah, uh, but I think that so you know, if we're going to apply one rubric to everyone. Uh, I would apply the two time a week training rubric to everyone because I think it just catches the most people, but I, I think we can do better that. than that. I think we can say that you should probably be training a muscle per session between three and roughly 10 sets mm -hmm. for that muscle group. It seems to be there's some very convincing arguments that that's probably the best range. I think we need to start roughly everyone at three sets or so per session, maybe even two of the very beginners. Right. And then see how long it takes for them to recover in, oh, so that they can train the muscle again. And with larger, more stronger people, it'll be twice a week. Or uh, with the people who are very, very small and uh, very slow twitch, it'll be like one day. And then, or every day they can train. And then once you have their baseline frequency, which will be different for each individual, it'll be different for their various muscle groups. Uh, then you have a program that's completely tailored to them, and then you start ramping up the volumes. And you could, you know, later down the line, uh, you know, when you're taking muscle cycles that are intended for recovery and resensitization, such as a low volume maintenance phase, you can intentionally take down muscle group training to one to two times per week, but you're not trying to gain at that point. You're just trying to maintain muscle, really low volume, very little training. And after several weeks of that, they have regained a ton of volume sensitivity. They've healed almost all of their little, little bruises and pings that they've had from higher volume, higher frequency training. And then you start to get back into what would be considered normal training. A more advanced view of that um, is you could potentially, after a resensitization phase, get into the lower end of effective training. What I would say would be you know, one to three time a week per muscle group training uh, really two to three for most individuals. One mesocycle later, your volume tolerance is now higher. You can recover from more stuff. You can start a two to four uh, frequency program for most muscle groups. And then the last mesocycle would be, uh, you know, something like three to five, uh, very high frequency, a notably unsustainable high frequency where the muscles right. just barely recover and the joints and connective tissues do not, and you hit them again, and then that last mesocycle is for sure unsustainable. You sort of putter across the finish line, very, very much overreached, but with great, great results, and then you take another low-volume uh, resensitization mesocycle, very low frequency, very low volume, clean up all that mess you made. So I think in an ideal world, you would periodize your frequency. I don't yeah. know how much of that applies to regular personal training clients, who for the vast majority, I think that because they come in two to four times a week, should yep. be doing either upper lower splits or uh, a split that allows them three to four times a week stimulus for each muscle group. And I also think that for those clients, compound 
um, antagonist supersets are probably almost always the way to go because they smash the biggest amount of volume and cardiovascular health benefit into the shortest time possible. So there's a pretty big difference between how you train sort of the lawyer that comes to see you two to three times a week and sometimes never because he's busy banging a secretary or something. Right. Um, whatever reason, <laughs> lawyers don't show up to train. Who knows? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, versus someone who is sort of dead set on getting as big as possible. Now, do you have kind of like a, uh, a total set, um, like, uh, do you have a number of sets that you would not want to exceed total per workout or at least in general, like, do you have some general suggestions or guidelines on that? Uh, you mean like if we're training multiple muscle groups in a single workout? Yeah. So in other words, if, I mean, cause basically what well, the way I look, the way I look at it is you got, you know. I'm not saying you have to hit these in the gym, but if somebody did, if somebody, you know, if a student came to me and was designing like a beginner workout program, I would say, okay, well, you know, you got eight basic muscle groups to kind of at least broadly consider. Um, and then obviously if we can break those down into even more nuances, you know, like legs, of course, we can divide up into different groups. Yeah. So if you're, if you're thinking, okay, well, let's do, you know, like five sets, for example, per muscle group, but if there's eight muscle groups, that's 40 sets. That's a ginormous workout. Um, so yeah. what, uh, you know, so do you have a kind of a limit then on how yeah. you, on how you I set gotcha. I think that the number of sets you do per session is just limited by your mind, man. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Wouldn't that be sweet if that was really my answer? You're like, wow, this guy's a <laughs> fucking idiot. Um, my honest perception is after doing a, a ton of programming, a bunch of template design, tons of feedback, working with a bunch of athletes and reading a bunch of stuff, training myself for years, of course, and a bunch of clients, I would put it to you this way, and this is sort of echoes what my colleague James Hoffman and I um, uh, sort of think about when people report to us various volumes that they're supposedly doing. Right. If a workout is in excess of 20 working sets total – um, that's totally fine, but for mm -hmm. large, very strong people training big, demanding muscle groups, that's probably the higher end. Right. However, you know, soccer mom can get through a million sets of wrist curls and just not give a fuck. So it's, there's some, definitely some wiggle room there based on who the individual is, how big and strong they are, and the muscle group they're training, how systemically fatigued that is. Right. Uh, I would say when you push to 30, you're turning a lot of heads, and at that point, if you tell me your average workout is 30 working uh, sets total, I'm going to be very interested in seeing what the fuck you call a workout and what you call working sets, right? Uh, because I suspect you're slacking off at some point, or you're counting wrist curls as working sets, which they very well should. But like, if you have like, for example, eight sets of dumbbell shrugs, uh, lightweight peak contraction, eight sets of wrist curls and eight sets of one arm cable curls. You're like, that's 24 sets. I'm like, yeah, sure. But the systemic load isn't that big. Right. You might be able to do that workout in 30 minutes. No big deal. Right. When, so an average workout where people are training some combination of smaller and larger muscle groups, anything North of 30 gets me very skeptical that you're not just doing a shitload of junk volume on the back end or cheating the system by just doing junk volume the whole time and never right. really spilling your guts um, so I would say for advanced larger lifters, 20 for most of the rest of the population, 30 plus really gets me questioning. I wonder if that's similar to what you've sort of arrived. Yes, I would say that is probably pretty similar. Um, so I, I guess my only then like potential hang up is if we go, if we say, if we agree, okay, we want to do 20 or 30 sets. And I still think it, I mean, you have to factor in, like you mentioned earlier, 
if let's say I'm just doing chest, right? And I was going to do 20 sets of chest. By the time I get to that 15th set and that 20th set, you know, mentally I'm a little fried. Things may not be, you know, my central nervous system may be kind of fatigued. Um, I think you'd, you'd, we'd have to say, well, that's still going to be reasonably true kind of of the same. I think you can delay it some by switching muscle groups. So if I did five sets of bench, five sets of squats, five sets of deadlift, but still on that 15th set or that 20th set, if I'm pushing hard, you know, I'm just going to be tired. Sure. Um, but I guess, so, for, you know, for me, if, if somebody's working, you know, cause you, cause your initial thing was like, let's, you know, most, it, there's a lot of nuances on setting programs up for three to four times a week. Like how you set that, you know, a, a frequency of three to four times a week. But if we like even five sets um, per muscle group, you know, three times a week, there's, there's, there's too many sets in there. So in other words, the workout is now either like two hours long, which from a personal training perspective, you know, is, is basically not doable because most client sessions are an hour. So I guess it just seems to me that you're in order to follow a high frequency that's not total body and to get in those five or 10 good quality sets each time, um, you're going to have to work out like six times a week. And I think that, that for, gen pop, you know, I don't think too many people are going to be able to accommodate a six time a week uh, workout routine. You know, most of the time I'm dealing with people that are, you know, three times a week, maybe four. So if we equate the number of total work sets performed between right. low and high frequency, don't we get the same rough total amount of time spent in the gym outside of maybe a few warm up sets? Yes, I, I, I would think it should be relatively similar, but I'm just trying to, if, if the suggestion is you want someone to do five or six or seven, you know, good sets per muscle group. Um, and again, there's, you know, eight ish muscle groups that we're going to consider. Um, that's, you know, that's going to exceed our 30 pretty fast. You're going to have to leave a fair amount of stuff out. Yes. So I think that individuals looking for maximum muscular development need to be training at least six days a week and potentially doing two a days on several of those. Um, Steve Hall does two a days. I do two a days a bunch. Currently, I'm training nine times a week. Um, and well, I we all know you're a little insane, so that's okay. <laughs> sure. Well, a little insane is a very charitable thing to say, Tim. Thank right. you so much. Just the, the Psychiatric Institute does not agree with your a little bit qualifier, <laughs> which is why right. I'm confined to this white room, as you can see. Uh, so uh, I think that people looking to really crank it should be doing uh, multiple sessions per day. It's, it, that's actually identical for every single sport ever because you look at weightlifters, you look at soccer players, right. nobody trains once a day. Sure as hell nobody trains four times a week, which is a bit of comedy to me that people looking for elite performance want to train three or four times a week in their sport and be like, I'm going to be the best in the world, right? Like, nah, you know, good luck. China's training eight times a, a week right. or 12 or whatever. Good, good luck with training four times a week. So you definitely run into that problem. Uh, so, But I would say whatever it is you choose to pick and however much total volume you choose to pick, about the same time spent no matter how you split it up. I will say that there are some folks that push at ultra high frequency, so sort of for its own sake, and end up training like two, one to three working sets per muscle per day, right. all muscles. The number of, if you're very strong and big, the number of warm-up sets for your routine total, so starts to get so high that it really does interfere with efficiency. For example, right. if you have 10 sets of uh, legs to do, you warm up for squats and once and you do five sets for squats. 
let's say you do leg presses for five sets after five sets of squats. How many warm-ups do you really need for leg presses? I mean, fuck, one, two, maybe? You sure as hell don't need your usual five warm-up sets, right? right. If you're already done squatting, you squat a 400 pounds. To leg press 500, what you probably need to do is put 315 on there, do it for a set of five. You feel fine. Everything's adjusted. The pad's where you're supposed right. to Load be. Load it up. Yep. Load it up, work set, or maybe one potentiation set in their work set. But if you train seven or eight muscle groups every day, I don't know what muscle groups you can really just bang right into. So automatically, your warm-up to work set ratio turns into like close to one-to-one maybe, which is just so much fucking time warming up that I think condensing things a little bit more is, is, is proper, which is why me personally, unless a muscle group heals really, really, really quickly, I'm skeptical of programs that are everyday whole body. I think right. that programming can be whole body for people to train two, three, four times a week. But if you train six times a week, I think a lot of muscles you can just train four times a week or three times a week. And so you can the other muscles. I think that's, that's a great level of condensation that also affords, I think, a mind-muscle connection thing. So for example, and I'm, I'm really, by the way, enjoying this conversation, Tim, because you're like so your super real world perspective, which is just refreshing. Um, Mind-muscle connection just does not happen in the first two or three sets. It just fucking doesn't. Right. You, you do the first set of laterals, I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know if I have shoulders. After that, maybe even on the second exercise, I'm really starting to feel what's going on. And I think the ratio of stimulus to fatigue there is actually quite beneficial. You're super warmed up. You're super in the groove. Yet, if you go beyond 10 and 15 sets, it's all fucking garbage. But I think that like sort of three to eight set windows, set three to set eight, that's quality fucking shit that happens here. If you intentionally try to train with really nasty high frequency every day, every day, every day, you're essentially putting your three most high performing sets, but also the most awkward and probably injurious sets where Uh your joints feel like on a hack squat or leg press you set up the first couple of sets, even work sets, they're always a little bit of wiggling around involved. Right. The textbook so, says you're warmed up, but you're not actually warmed right. up. Right. So, but like when you do your next exercise or, you know, you set number four, five, six, the same one, you're so grooving. I just hate to stop that groove for some arbitrary goal of training N number of times a week. I think you got to go in, train the muscle hard, but not too hard. And whenever it recovers next, it's probably time to train it next with a bit of wiggle room on either way. I just, I totally see where you're coming from though, that like high frequency for its own sake, it, it, with the soreness and all that other stuff. And the fact that you're doing just, just a couple sets and just all these warm up sets, I never understand what really the purpose of that is. And I don't think the literature supports such practices as all. Right. No, I would definitely agree with that. Um, as, as we've gone through there, um, what, what would you say when you look back at people, for example, like Dorian Yates or like Kirk Worski, things like that, who achieved super, uh, high level of success on at least apparently, you know, reportedly a, a pretty low, low frequency. And even in Dorian Yates case, a low volume, um, type of training. Do you feel like he would be, you know, even better with, you know, with updated training or do yes. you feel like, yeah, you do? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that everyone back from the, the whatever era would be better with better things. I don't know if that's a controversial statement. Um, so, for example, if we take a look at the way Arnold dieted or the mm-hmm. way Arnold used drugs, I mean, right. with Arnold's genetics today, we would be looking at someone who, with Arnold's shape, would step on stage not at 235, but at 285. Right. He would be a monstrosity that would, again, win seven Olympias or really as many as he wanted, but would look like Ronnie Coleman reborn and revamped, like something we've never seen. 
But, but Arnold didn't have access to insulin and growth hormones, so we don't even have to speculate how much bigger he would be because we know he would. So if we have something that seems theoretically very optimal, uh, it, it, the question of if we applied it to Dorian Yates and the time machine or whatever, would he get better? I have every reason to believe that he would, yes. Um, uh, and also Dorian Yates, with the way he trained, with as much recovery as he got and as much as he pushed the poundages versus the volumes and the qualities of the contraction and so on and so forth, Dorian Yates ripped every single fucking muscle off his body by the time he was done competing, um, which is not to say that you can't do that with a variety of other training methods. I think if you right. even in a yeah, variety no. of directions, you can do that. So um, I think it comes down to training with a high quality way and uh, coming back and recovering enough to train again, high quality and repeating that and whatever n number of times a week that results in is sort of your body telling you how many frequencies you should be doing. And I think the other way around of telling your body is fine if it's in a generally good range, but we can easily find ourselves outside of that range. Um, it is a bunch, it's hard to tell Dorian because he had shitty injury genetics. Dorian could have done really stupid stuff with supplements. Dorian could have had technique that wasn't amazing. I will say like, you know, some of the technique he uses on exercises I share as hell wouldn't use, like, you know, his, uh, the Dorian Yates row or whatever, like it's cool, too much body English for me. It's uh, too upright. Um, and I'm, I, I'm very comfortable criticizing uh, people that are higher level because I think we need to be intellectually honest. And I think that if we don't criticize them, we risk the, the intellectual fallacy of cock riding which, by right. the way, Aristotle described. No, but on a serious note, you know, I think so. Yeah, I think Dorian could have been better if he had, you know, especially if take a look at this. Uh, you know, Dorian, when I train much, was back training or et cetera. Maybe not. But could Dorian Yates have trained his side delts or rear delts and potentially his biceps more than once a week relatively hard? I would be willing to bet that's probably the case. Uh, right. I don't find any reason to not believe so. Um, you know, here's here's another, well, I would criticize bodybuilders that will never be nearly as good as, uh, as, uh, you know, Ronnie Coleman, people used to defend Ronnie Coleman's 800 pound squats and so on and so forth and 800 pound deadlifts as like, shut up, you know, this and that, you know, slur. That makes fun man, of, right, right exactly. Like, he's, he's got to do you. what Yeah, exactly. Right. He's got to do what he's got to do. You know, now that Ronnie's had about 18 trillion back surgeries, you know, are we really going to say that if Ronnie only went to 700 for reps on those movements and sunk them in super deep and never lost his footing or anything, uh, would he have been worse off? Like, Ronnie wouldn't have been as hypertrophied from five sets of 600 for 10 in the deadlift versus one set of 800 for two? I would never make that claim. I think he would be more hypertrophied, if anything, possibly less hurt. So I think it's always, it always you know, yeah, those bodybuilders, I think, with better practices could have been better. I'm, you know, could have been as an interesting idea in itself, but yeah. Sure. I got you. One thing I've noticed, and this is just a hypothesis, is... Um, again, if you kind of go back to the 80s, 90s, that's, and particularly that's when I kind of got, you know, stuck into powerlifting, um, is it seemed like the guys would win for a longer period of time. In other words, you know, you would win a national championship and then they would win. They would, the same guys would just go in and win for five or ten years straight. Now our performance is higher now for sure. Um, and I think some of that is, is contributed to high, higher frequency training than we used to do. But it does Maybe. seem like it's rare that someone lasts as long. So I almost, um, one of my fears is that people are turning to high frequency training. You know, they obviously they don't have, you know, your kind of nuanced understanding of, you know, when to back off the total boy and that kind of stuff. So let's, let's just say I'm a 20 year old kid who likes you and hey, Mike's super smart. And I want to follow him. And then I, you know, I try to do the best I can with this program, 
but I end up, you know, I'm pushing it. I'm enthusiastic. I think I'm immortal. And then, you know, and I get good results, but then two or three years later, you know, now my shoulders hurt, my knees hurt, and then I got to kind of peter out. I'm a, I guess I'm just, a, I'm wondering if maybe you either disagree or agree with that or whether you've even noticed. Uh, you know, well, Tim, what I would say to that kid, I already got your money, little bitch. I would like, because he's now probably on crutches. So I'd kick over one of the crutches and be like, man, kid, right. good luck. Better luck next time. See? And a glow cigar right. smoke in his face. Asked mm-hmm. Steve Hall and I drove Should've away. Tried. fucking harder, right? Yeah, in like a, like a black Bentley. We're not driving it because we don't drive cars anymore. That's how rich we are off selling programs. Right. The driver, you just roll up the window and tell the driver. To yeah, go. and I call him driver. I don't call him right. his name. I'm not interested in his name. That's not the kind of financial right. status that I have. So but, um, I I can't actually agree with you more. I think is absolutely you're onto something. There's in every generation, there's a tendency to take whatever revealed wisdom has come along and abuse the living fuck out of it. And there's no right. shortage of power lifters that will do whatever kind of, you know, I think in, when I came up in powerlifting, uh, it was the early two thousands and that was the, uh, Louis Simmons peak era where yeah. if you weren't maxing one to three reps in the gym, why were you there? Right. <laughs> How many people got shut out the other end by that one? A ton. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, it is, you just assumed powerlifting was about being injured. That's just what happened. So, and then, you know, Shaco came on the scene and unfortunately Shaco himself didn't just his programs that he wrote specifically customized to certain lifters in a specific mesocycle came out as the Shaco program. And you're supposed right. to just bench five, five times a week. And I'm on 37, matter. man. What, what, what do you want? Right. Exactly, exactly. And then all of a sudden, it was like people just doing, 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 and then burning out. 100% agreed. And that is may, maybe very likely why we see folks sort of shooting star their way through the sport. Uh, I also think that, as you've alluded to this yourself, um, when you have a higher level of competitiveness, the chances of hanging around are lower because there's always people to challenge you. One really interesting microcosm of this is the Chinese weightlifting team scenario. Uh Don't get used to any of those individual lifters because there's always a guy like two kilos in the total away that's 19 and this other guy's 26. And it's got a couple, one injury away from that 19 year old just being better total. So it's, it's really, really interesting, which actually sort of just an interesting offshoot isn't the fact that the Olympia is won by so few people just incredible? Like, mm-hmm. it, like what Phil Heath has done with, what, is seven victories or whatever? I mean, holy shit, did he just shut out t- titans that would have beat everyone else. I just think that, you know, is, is really incredible. But if you just looked at, if you were an alien that came down to earth and you looked at the structure of sport competition, you might predict that nobody could ever two-peat for yet three-peat because the competition is so intense. So I, right. I totally hear you on, on that one, and I, I definitely hear you on the people will, you know, the high frequency as a rule versus using frequency to your advantage. Very, very bad idea. I actually known uh, more than a few people. I was around, this is funny that I'm on this side of the debate now. I was on the other side of the debate for the squat every day. Remember the squat every day shit? Oh, yeah. John oh. Burroughs, fucking squat every day. Your family yeah. is kidnapped. That, that's right. Pounds on your squat. Something to do with a gun, squats, yeah. your family, mix it all up. So, yeah, so it's funny because, you know, even before John Burroughs, that one uh, gentleman wrote the squat every day book called Squat Every Day, get his name. And um, I, him and I had a few debates um, once he proclaimed himself on the internet to be so smart, so much smarter than everyone that he could debate everyone like drunk and still win 
he ran right. into me and it didn't go so well for him. But, uh, <laughs> you know, right. he won the debate for sure. I'm just too stupid to realize it. Right. So right. I, thought it, I thought it did great. But um, Like the guy on Game Changers. He won the debate too, <laughs> Exactly. Right? The only one, every debate he's ever entered, he's won. Right. That, I'm sure. So in the heads of the folks that support his ideology. But the I was on that side where, you know, so there was something supposedly magical to doing squatting every day. And I was like, folks, why don't we just do it when we recover? And they're like, nonsense, every day. And I know personally multiple people who within several months of squatting every day peaked all-time greatest 1RM squat and then started to have some joint trouble and then went into what is basically clinical type 2 overtraining in which right. they never regained their performance ever again. I know one guy specifically who um, I was very good friends with, he squatted after six months of squatting. He was squatting roughly 225 for a max. Six months later, he squatted 405, which is fucking crazy if you think about Super it, right? Awesome. Squatting yep. every day. And then after that, his body broke apart and he could never, and I watched them do this in grad school, tried it and tried it and tried it and never worked. He could never, every time he exited the 275 plus range for working sets, his body would begin to fall apart again. It was right. his hips, it was his knees, it was his central nervous system. Something went in a big way and he just couldn't, he just permanently broke him. So that's the kind of stuff I for sure fear with super high frequency, which is why I think frequency needs to be, are you recovered first of all? And then second of all, watch your joints and connective tissues. And when they start to bother you, it's either time for a deload, an active rest, or a month or two or three of lower frequency training so that you can get your mojo back and then push back into it again. Nice. I'm a little worried that the only thing people are going to get from this discussion is if you want to get your squat to go from 225 to 405, you squat every day. Tim, Tim and Mike I think you're onto something great. The whole thing. I, will, I will see that and, and advance the following. Uh, Steve, I think you should title this video. Forget the two of our names. Right. Just title it. No, I, I got better. I don't need to take the blame for this. Tim Henriquez's secret to putting to 200 squatting. pounds oh, yeah. on your squat in six months. First right. of all, Steve, how many people are going to watch the video? A ton. How many people are going to be pissed that that's only one joke in the video? A few. But look, right. views are views, man. <laughs> right. Right. It's all about the YouTube likes anyway. Yeah, put a hot girl on the the, the, the thumbnail. You know, neither one of yep. us are, I'm sorry, Tim, to speak for you, the best looking people <laughs> in the world. Okay. You know. I mean, my wife cries herself to sleep every night, but it's fine. <laughs> with, with, while she murmurs, what have I done to myself? Right. You know, right. you're lucky because my wife doesn't speak to me anymore. Mm, okay. Yeah. So well, you're still... Some people might think you're the lucky one in that Oh, boy. <laughs> Not touching. <laughs> I don't think we can top that one. Right. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, it's funny you brought up Squat Every Day. I think that's one of the first ebooks in like fitness that I ended up buying. It was like a, it seemed to be a rev, revelation at the time. So it's it really funny that it's- fitness ebook. It's a religion, yeah. baby. <laughs> it's really funny to see it completely die off and it's never brought up really anymore. So I, I'm just happy I didn't have the following back then that I do now because uh, even back then, how many questions I got of, what do you think of Squat Every Day? Like, Good God, how many times do I have to answer this? I'm yep. uh, just waiting for the next fad to come along so people can ask Tim and I, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? What do you think of that? Same dumb shit. Never bothered to learn the principles. I'm done ranting. I've exhausted right. myself. I'm hitting the shake weight after this, so I'm pretty <laughs> 100%. So in, if I was to try and summarize it, like this is a big summary because you guys had a fantastic discussion and back and forth. I guess it's the case of, 
higher frequencies for smaller muscle groups that recover faster is certainly something for muscle growth that seems as appropriate and potentially even for some of the larger muscle groups so long as you're recovering and uh, it might be something that you need to make sure you're deloading potentially having lower volume phases and essentially you need to be educated in using them and it's something you don't want to just run into from the get-go someone listening say it maybe was like oh, i was training a muscle group once per week and they're going to now go to four that would be a bad idea maybe they go one and they split that volume over two sessions um, and then in some cases like tim said when you're a personal trainer you only have three one hour sessions with someone the high frequency just maybe isn't as plausible as it could be and for people looking to maximize their muscle growth they're going to probably want to commit to training up to six days per week and uh, to get that frequency in. Is that a fair summary? Is there anything else either of you want to add? I would just say, um, yeah, I, one, I appreciate the summary. I would just say, you know, to, to both camps, like you don't have to cling to it like dogma. I mean, I feel like that was the, the kind of end summary of our, you know, squat every day. Whereas, you know, people in fitness, for whatever reason, love to feel like, you know, they've discovered the holy grail and then it can't be changed. And so, you know, in the 80s and 90s, and I was probably a little guilty of this myself, you know, growing up on the bodybuilding splits and getting good results from them. Uh, do they work? Yes. Are they necessarily the optimal way to build muscle? Probably not. Um, and there's different ways to do it. On the flip side, now I'm talking to 20-year-olds that, you know, that would say, oh, if you don't do, you know, if you didn't smash everything at least three times a week, you just wasted your time. Um, and, you know, I started this just because, again, I have a lot of respect for Mike. Uh, it's been an awesome discussion and uh, all the stuff I've read, you know, in the past and everything. He's a super knowledgeable guy. And I know he has a large influence on people. So I just felt like, and in total fairness to him, all that was was Facebook snippet. I've said things on Facebook that then I felt like it got a backpedal and nuance and there's all sorts of different layers. Um, but don't, you know, it's to say that it's dead wrong to do low frequency, I don't think kind of covers the whole thing. And there are certainly times when it's okay to have a mesocycle to allow recovery and things like that. It's a tool in the toolbox that doesn't need to be discarded, right? So it, it has value, but it's not the only tool in the toolbox. So for all the people that love low frequency, be aware there's other ways to train too. I mean, the way I broke through my bench press plateau was to finally go high frequency after being stubborn for a decade. So, uh, you know, different ways to do it. Yeah. I, you know, like you said about snippets, um, they really are just snippets. And uh, we have a whole other section, multiple other sections of that book where we discuss the detriments of excessively high frequencies and talk about how to make sure to approach them properly. Um, I would say that for optimal hypertrophy, one time a week training is probably not the best idea. Um, but I think that there are times in a, uh, a macro cycle, times in a training block where low frequency is uh, an option that is a very uh, good option and sometimes even maybe mandatory for various recovery purposes. So uh, I definitely see that uh, middle ground there. But uh, but let's just be honest, you know, now that we've had a debate, it's bad blood between us, Tim. Right. And we're enemies. Uh, Steve, can you make sure to please put a versus in the video clip? Uh, <laughs> it's got to be like a fight. Like oh yeah, it's gotta be. I have a I have a life size cutout. I'm waiting for them to sell a fathead of Mike. Uh, <laughs> when they do, I, I like to throw axes and uh, chop wood. So I'm gonna wrap that around yeah. the tree. Fathead is axe. is redundant in my case because my head is already quite bad. So it's pretty, it's I'm gonna cry as soon and as I've this been, podcast I've been is over. Ridiculed for a tiny uh, prune sized head. That was <laughs> really. 
I had a girl tell me that in college, a really hot girl too. She's like, you know, you're really pretty hot. That was back when I had hair. She's like, you're really pretty hot, except you have this little tiny prune-sized head, and it's your it's your one fatal flaw. So, dude, you know what? I guarantee you, that girl is a fucking trashed out meth addict with like six. <laughs> no, I'm kids still Facebook that... friends with her. She's uh, she's still pretty hot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guarantee you her internal <laughs> mental life is just a Prozac and Xanax supported lucid terror dream. Like Perhaps. something Perhaps. To, we got to get her on something. There's no and way. For, clarity, she's just, for those listening, she had never seen me with my pants down. So she was definitely only talking about one head. So, uh, <laughs> that's very important. True I, I assume you summarily put your pants down and she was like, oh, holy shit, we need right. to get married. And then you were like, don't nobody even marry you, bitch. And then uh, you don't need her. That's the real thing. Right. You don't need her in your life. We don't need her. No. We don't need that feedback. <laughs> Fantastic. And on that note, I want to say a massive thank you to you both. Again, I think part of that, the education behind using higher frequencies, just by having you guys come onto the channel, we've kind of taken that discussion further. We furthered the truth towards what we're meant to be doing in the gym. So I'm really grateful to have you both on to do that um, and to discuss it so well. So thank you both. And uh, thanks to all the listeners for tuning in. One thing I would do want to make sure is uh, for Tim, uh, if people want to check out more of your stuff, obviously this is the first time you've been on the channel. I want to make sure people can reach out. Where's the best place for them to head? Uh, so my site is allaboutpowerlifting.com and that's where I post uh, most of my articles and uh, there's a book of the same name. So if you love powerlifting, you know, I, I try to equate it to kind of starting strength goes over biomechanics and it's a super awesome book and I highly recommend it. Um, but um, like Lyle McDonald called my book, uh, the starting strength for powerlifters. So it kind of goes over, you know, everything you need to know if you want to get into the sport, the basics of the lifts, how to improve them, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, and then I have another book all about program design um, for personal trainers writing programs as well, but they're all on that site. So check that out. Fantastic. Yeah, and if I can just uh, put a, a sort of like a vote of support, um, I've been checking out Tim's stuff for a very, very long time, and I always, always consider his opinion super highly valuable on every subject. Um, he's written a few articles that stand out to me. The trans article, he wrote an article about uh, trans participation in female sports, and it was an article that was uh, unbelievably nuanced, unbelievably well-researched in super great depth. I shared the living shit out of him, about a trillion people shared it after that. Um, and it's just an exemplary of, of what his work really represents. If like you want people, you want someone thinking about stuff, you're going to go read his shit. Um, if you want someone feeling about it and being Jack, you read my shit. Look at these guns. <laughs> Hold up. I can't, I can't even fit them into the video. See, my own endorsement <laughs> failed me. Oh, brilliant. And now uh, my tiny head is slightly swollen, so I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> it still looks very small, I assure you. Yes, yes. Tiny. <laughs> fantastic and uh yeah thank you so much tim i'll make sure that's all linked in the the bio below thank uh, and, you for having me my friend absolutely yeah thank you and i mean mike we haven't done a plug for you in a while make sure people know actually where to reach out to find you oh yes so renaissanceperiodization.com and if you can't get there go to rp strength on instagram or go to my instagram r-p-d-r-m-i-k-e and or see me on facebook but we're doing this thing where we have the um per muscle group hypertrophy guides. They used to just be volume, now they're everything, volume, frequency, intensity, periodization, variation, exercise selection, videos. So if you want to figure out how to train any muscle group, and the penis is not a muscle group, so stop emailing me about that. And if you want to keep emailing me, I have a private email list for that kind of shit, um, Patreon. 
So um, that's where to go. Uh, Renaissance periodization, uh, the uh, hypertrophy guide, central hub, you can Google that. And that's where you can get your real start there. And then we'll throw ads at you to buy various products of ours. Because, you know, the Bentleys don't buy themselves. And I don't want to know my driver. So I like to stay as rich as possible. <laughs> Steve, you agree with me, right? Remember that one driver we had? We never bothered to learn his name. <laughs> I don't know anyone's. I don't know how to say names most of the exactly. time. Exactly. Terrible. Right, would you? It happened even this podcast, let alone our, all our Q&As. Sure <laughs> did. How offensive. <laughs> thank you guys for listening again. Thank you both for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.